I want to talk to you about a very important area of prophecy, and that's concerning Israel in the Bible in the last days. Replacement theology, as most of us understand, is not what it is. Uh, they call it supersessionism, where they take uh, the <clears throat> understanding of uh, Israel completely out because God has completely and totally divorced himself from Israel. And God had made it very clear that if Israel would reject him, he would reject them. That's the way they understand it. They get this supersessionism uh, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, where Jesus said in verse number 42, as he was speaking to uh, the leaders of Israel that concerning what the Scripture says, he says, did you never read in the scripture the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, <clears throat> from the notes, from the notes of of uh, replacement theology, is uh, this passage of scripture uh, that I've given to you as uh, their main opening thesis for. Why they believe that Israel is rejected and Israel is rejected forever. They go on to say in this replacement theology that God has completely broken his covenant with Abraham concerning Israel. They say as a result of the covenant uh, was repealed or the covenant was repealed and God forever rejected Israel as a nation. Israel has lost ownership of their land and the everlasting nature of the Abrahamic covenant. God will save individual Jews, but he has no present future program for Israel as a nation. He has rejected Israel as his people and replaced it with the church. So basically they are teaching that the church is now Israel. And everything in the Old Testament that God had promised Israel because they rejected the new covenant. Therefore, <clears throat> we are now part of that new covenant. And God has no intention of replacing Israel uh, with this covenant or putting Israel back into this covenant. Israel has been replaced by the church and the church is now spiritual Israel. And everything that pertained to Israel now pertains to us. Now, <clears throat> that convolutes a lot of scripture. Uh, that really says that God is not immutable. Now, we could get into a lot of arguments that I don't have here, but the Bible says God is immutable and he changes not. Amen. When God makes a promise, he, uh, he will keep that promise. Even though we break that promise, Amen. he will keep that promise.
He expects us to keep our promises. And if we don't, well, then he will chasten us. He'll correct us. And he'll spank very hard, but he'll not go back on what he promised us because we broke the promise. In other words, when we come to the Abrahamic covenant, it's an unconditional covenant. This is what God said I will do. Uh, and so there were some conditions that Abraham had to meet, but Abraham met those, co- those conditions. And so God swore to him. God finally swore to him because he met those conditions that God would make an everlasting covenant with him. We see that in Genesis 17, beginning with verse number 5, where God changed the name of Abram from a nation to many nations. Abram meant nation. Abraham means many nations. And so he says, Thy name uh, anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. I will make thee exceeding fruitful. I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generation for an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God continues to reaffirm that covenant. He reaffirmed it through Abraham's son Isaac. And then God once again reaffirmed the covenant to Isaac's son Jacob. That's why we read in the New Testament, Jesus made it very clear that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All through the scripture, God declares, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what does that mean? It means that I am a covenant-keeping God. It doesn't mean that I make covenants and that I break covenants. If you read through that, God, there's no conditions on Abraham there in Genesis 17. It's all on God. God says, I will, I will, I will. I will make an everlasting covenant. I will give you an everlasting possession. And so Israel had been driven from the land. Israel had been brought back in the land. Now, the replacement theology people do not believe that the people that are in the land, that's truly Israel. They believe, they call them Bolsheviks. They don't call them Israelites. They refer to them as Bolsheviks. And they get into this idea that, uh, and the Jehovah Witnesses do the same thing on, on the lost tribe. They're, you know, you have the northern tribe, they're lost. God doesn't know where they're at. No one knows where they're at. They're just totally lost. Where in the Bible does it say that the ten northern tribes are lost? It does not say it. In fact, God says in the last days he'll bring them all together. You'll take your Bible and look with me over to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, and you have to understand when we talk about all the tribes of Israel, there's more than 12. There's more than 12. You know, when we read over there in 
Revelation chapter 7, you have 12 tribes. Dan and Manasseh is left out. When we get over to Revelation chapter 21, uh, we are, Levi is in the place of Dan, I believe it is, and I forget what goes on over in Revelation 21. But we see all the tribes over in Ezekiel chapter 48. When Jesus Christ comes in and takes possession of the land, sets up his kingdom, and he reigns from Jerusalem, he builds his tabernacle and uh, land all around the temple, he gives to the tribes of Israel. And every tribe is mentioned there. We won't take time to read it, but go to Ezekiel chapter 48, and you can see... In fact, let's just go there for a moment. We won't read all of it, but in Revelation chapter 48, Christ is in the land. This is during the millennial period. Now, these are the names of the tribes from the north and to the coast of the way of Hebron. As one goeth to Hamoth, to Hezron, to the borders of Damascus, northward to the coast of Hazmoth, these are the sides of the east. The west is the portion for Dan. Now, it's interesting. God now wants to get, God had cut Dan off, remember, because of the horrible sin Dan had committed. But now God brings them back in because God made an everlasting covenant. They were disciplined for a while, but God brought them back in. Verse number two, and by the border of Dan from the east unto the west side is the portion of Asher. And by the border of Asher from the east to the side unto the west side is a portion of Naphtali. And from the borders of Naphtali from the east side unto the west side is a portion of Manasseh. And so he continues on until he mentions every tribe, including the Levites. Now, is this the church here? It certainly doesn't look like the church to me. Now, take your Bible and go back to Ezekiel chapter 37. God makes a covenant. And here's what God promised. And we're living in exciting days because this has been fulfilled in our time. In verse number 21, he says, as he was speaking to Ezekiel, he said, Say unto them, these dry bones, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will make the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, I will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all. And they shall no more be two nations. Now remember, when they became a divided nation, the ten northern tribes went off into Syrian captivity. The southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, went off into Babylonian captivity. The tribes are not lost, God says in the last days, I will make them one nation. God knows where the ten northern tribes are. God knows where Judah and Benjamin are. And God will bring them all back together. The Bible says in verse number 23 of Ezekiel 37, Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them so that they shall be my people and I will be their God. And David my servant shall be king over them, 
That's in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto them. Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set them in my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I the Lord do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Now, that certainly doesn't sound like the church to me. You say, well, <clears throat> you forgot, preacher. God cut them off forever. No, God did not cut them off forever. God has made promise. As we see there in the notes, God's covenant is an everlasting covenant. And God uh, began his promise with Abraham in there in Genesis chapter 12. And God said through uh, God's seed, Israel, all nations would be blessed and all nations that would curse Israel would be cursed. God also made promise again in Genesis 13, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17. We see this just reaffirmed over and over again. We see it reaffirmed in Ezekiel. We see it reaffirmed all through the Old Testament. God has established his covenant. God has not only established his covenant, but God has affirmed that he would establish a new covenant with Israel. And you and I take part in that new covenant through the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see that in just a moment as we jump over to Jeremiah chapter 31. So <clears throat> we, we find that these arguments here are all founded upon, did God truly mean what he said when he promised everlasting covenant to Israel? When God says what he says, does he really mean it? Well, yes, he does. God made it very clear that he's exalted his word above his name. And so if God's word is no good, then his name doesn't really mean a whole lot, does it? God promised something to Abraham, and because Israel failed, well, God says, forget it. I'm going back on my promise. Now, let me ask you this question. If you believe in replacement theology, then you might want to be a little careful about the way you live your life. Because if God would go back on his promise with Israel, he can go back on his promise with you. It could be as wicked as the church become. None of us would be saved based on covenant, replacement covenant theology. Because, you know, there's conditions that we've got to meet. And, uh, and if Israel was cut off forever because of unbelief, then you're going to be cut off forever because of unbelief. And so how many are going to be faithful to the end? Well, we won't know until we get through the tribulation period. And perhaps there hardly anyone will be saved because we'll all, you know, be so fearful and afraid and with everything that's going on in the tribulation period, with all the wrath that God's pouring out upon his bride, 
we may just defect from the Lord. He said, well, okay, I'm going to cut them off forever too. You create a whole brand new world and try making new promises. Does that sound like an immutable God, a holy God? You could count on him as long as he can count on you. <laughs> no, we can count on God regardless what happens to us. It is God that worketh in you. It is God that will perform it. It is God that will finish whatever it is that he wants to do through us. It is God that <clears throat> keeps his promises. Man fails. Man has continually failed. You say, well, we're better than Israel. Israel said, hey, everything you promised me, Lord, we will do. Oh, are we any better? How many promises have you made, God, that you have broken? You know, we're all guilty of that. We've all made commitments. We've all made promises. And we've reneged on those. And we come to the altar and we make things right. And we expect, expect God to be merciful and to forgive us. But not with Israel. No, he's not going to forgive Israel. And then we have these people that believe, but, you know, they're the 144,000. Know, and, and so, well, wait a minute. You know, we already got the 144,000. They're already in heaven. So uh, where are the rest of them that's going to inherit the earth? Uh, you know, it's, it's just like, wow, where did they come up with all this? They come up with all this when you believe uh, that the word of God has some deeper meaning other than the literal interpretation that God intends for us to get from his word. We talked about types and allegories. Yes, there are types and allegories. Jesus is the Lamb of God, but we understand from the very literal interpretation of God's word what the Lamb of God is. God reveals to us what he means by the Lamb of God that was slain. We understand it's not some animal, it's not a lamb that was without blemish, it was a man that was without blemish. And so God comes across in these allegorical types, these pictures to equate with us so that we can somehow understand. Uh, God uses this kind of language uh, to get through to us, to get our attention. He uses anthropomorphic expressions to get through to us. He uses all type of animal expressions in types and allegories to give us some kind of an understanding to get us to think. But then he comes along and he tells us what that means. And so we get the literal interpretation from it. We get the story, for instance, over there in the book of Numbers when the children of Israel were murmuring and complaining because of the hardness of the way. And God got angry with them. And God raised up snakes, venomous vipers. And they were coming out of the rocks. And they were coming up out of the sand. They were coming out of the bushes. They were fiery red serpents. And they were quite venomous. And they began to bite the hundreds of thousands of people that were there in the wilderness. More than 20,000 people died. Why did they die? Because they were bitten by these venomous snakes. And they refused to look. Moses was commanded to take and make a serpent out, or, uh, out of brass. To make something that symbolized these brazen red serpents. And to lift it up on a pole. And everyone that would look at that serpent on the pole, they would live. And there were 20,000 people that died. Why? Because they refused to look. 
Jesus comes along and he explains to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was a Pharisee, he was a scribe, he was a very well-educated man, and like so many of the Pharisees, he just had a hard time looking at Jesus. And Jesus went on to explain to him the story. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus, that whosoever looked at that serpent on the pole, they would live. I am that serpent. I took your venom. I took your poison. I am that one that came under judgment. And I've been lifted up on a pole. And I have the ability to cleanse you of your sins if you'll look to me. But you must look at me upon the cross. You must understand that I went to that cross for you. And then he went on to say, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Salvation is so simple, all we have to do is take a look. And there are so many people who refuse to look. And so we understand by way of allegory, by way of type, that Jesus became a venomous viper, a snake filled with poison that had contaminated everyone by, his, by the things and by the venom that comes through those things and that we're all born into sin as a result of sin. And Jesus Christ went to the cross And he took on our nature filled with sin and filled with the wickedness and the corruption of mankind through his fallen nature. And Jesus Christ became sin for us and through his blood he washed that sin away. But in order for us to be cleansed we must look to the cross. And there are some who said, well no I will not look. That doesn't make sense. I can't equate with that. That's silly. I just refuse to look. Well, anyway, getting back to what we're talking about here, God makes it very clear that there is a distinction between the church and Israel. The church and Israel are not the same. It's not some kind of silly allegorical message there that uh, we are to interpret that we are going to become spiritual Israel and that we are going to make up the 12 tribes. You're going to have a hard time finding that in the Bible. You'll find it. And by the way, I challenge you to go to the notes of replacement theology and and just notice how little scripture they give for their doctrine. And they they quote all these great uh, theological uh, students of the word of God going all the way bound through the Catholic Church. And much of them come out of Catholicism. And they quote these great theologians, quote after quote after quote of what these men taught and what these men believed and what these men said with very little scriptural reference. And you see the same thing with so much of heresy today. It's more what man says and very little of what God says. 
And what's interesting, when you get into someone like Dwight D. Pentecost on the things to come, and you begin reading his notes, it's just scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. I mean, you just got one long line of scriptures in every reference that he goes down with. And then you look at the arguments of the others that do not hold to that, but gravitate to all millennialism or premillennialism or whatever postmillennialism, and they got all these notes and just few, just very few scripture. There's something wrong with that. We find that the word of God is going to be back with scripture after scripture. It doesn't come by any private interpretation. You're not going to build it out of one verse. Uh, but when we get into the arguments and the testimonies of what God would have us to believe, you're going to have a whole long list of scriptures that you can use. So the word of God has given us those scriptures. God has made it very clear that his covenants are an everlasting covenant. God has promised that what he will do, he will do. We find the argument there that Israel will be cut off and the church will be grafted in and the church will become spiritual Israel and that Israel will no longer have the ability to usher in the kingdom of God because they had committed the unforgivable sin. They had committed the, the sin that cannot be pardoned, the unpardonable sin, and therefore they are cut off forever. God will save Jews individually and bring them into the Gentile church, but he will have nothing to do with Israel. Does that sound right when you read Revelation chapter 21? Let's just take a look at Revelation 21. And then you may want to take your thumb and hold it over there in Romans chapter 11. But over here in Revelation chapter 21, here's what we read. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And he talked with me, saying, Come thither, and I will show thee the bride and the lamb's wife. 
And he carried me away in the spirit into a great and high mountain. He showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was the like the stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great high, and it had twelve gates. And the gates were the twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And all the walls of the city had the twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he talked with me, and that had the golden reed that measured the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city that lieth four square in length, as large as the breadth and as the measure of the city that the reed, the twelve thousand furlongs, the length of the, the length of the breadth and the height of it are all equal. And he measured the walls thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was of pure gold, like unto a clear glass. And the foundations of the wall and the city were all garnished with all manner of precious stones. And so he goes on, he begins to mention the stones, and he mentions the twelve gates, and he says, I saw no temple there. It's very interesting that this city here is a city that is, made up with the gates representing Israel and the foundation representing the church. And all throughout the, the ages of time that put their faith in the word of God during the dispensation of Israel, and during the time of the church age, and during the time of the tribulation, all who put their faith in the Lamb of God can enter into the city. But those that dwell in the city and those that live in the city are those for which the city was built for and prepared for the bride of God, the bride of Christ. Amen. We come to Revelation 21 and he showed me a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the midst of the streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bare the twelve manners of fruit, which yielded the fruits every month and the leaves of the trees were the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more a curse but the throne of God and the Lamb of God. So we have two thrones. We have God's throne and we have the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there. There no need of a candle, neither the light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And he saith unto me, These things are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets had sent his angels to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. He goes on to saying, he says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecies of this book. So I, John, saw these things. I heard them, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down and worshipped before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the books of worship God. So here's John. He's in heaven, 
and he sees this glorious sight. And what does he see? He sees an Old Testament prophet. He's falling down at that Old Testament prophet's feet, and he's worshiping that Old Testament prophet. That he's not a, he's not, he didn't get there through the church. He got there through the faith of God that God had given unto Israel. It's very, it's very clear that when we get there, there are going to be both Jews and Gentiles. We're all going to be there in that city. He went on to say, in verse number 10, he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me, to give to every man according to the works which shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, and they that may have right to the tree of life, that may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto you these things in the church. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. So here again we have the understanding both the church and Israel. Christ, the bright and morning star. Not only to the church, but to Israel. And I say to the Spirit and to the bride, Come, let him that heareth come, and let him that is the thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to every man that, that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, that if any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. What replacement theology has done, they've come along and they've taken Israel out of the book. They've taken Israel out of the promises. They say that Israel is a nation and Israel is a people and Israel for which God made an everlasting covenant and gave an everlasting possession forever would not possess it. They would not go into the city. They would never dwell in the city. The covenant is no longer theirs. It's only the church. And so they've taken the word of God out and they've added something to it. And I don't believe, excuse me, but I believe that those that get caught up in that kind of doctrine, their eyes have been blinded to the truth. They're deceived and you need to beware of them. The outwardly, they look like loving lambs, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You need to be careful going online and listening to these preachers that have the venom of hate toward Israel. That say that Israel is not a nation. That they're not a covenant people. That God has not blessed them. That God will not bring them back into the land. That God will not be their people. That they're no longer a part of the covenant. What have they done? They've taken the word of God and they've made it of another fact. And they've changed the very word of God. That's what they've done. 
And so, as far as Israel is concerned as a nation, they might as well rip Revelation 22 and 21 out. It no longer applies to them. That's how serious this thing is. We need to be careful that we don't get caught up into this. Now, let me conclude by taking you over to a very important passage of Scripture. Yes, Israel was cut off. Yes, Israel was driven to the four corners of the world. Yes, they were cut off for unbelief. But they were not cut off forever. The Apostle Paul made that very clear. You know, for the life of me, I can't understand why they can't see this. I can't understand when they go in, you know, they, they begin to teach their venom and boast about how that we are now the spiritual Israel. I don't understand why it is that they don't understand the book of Romans. If we had time, we'd, to better understand Romans chapter 11, you have to back up all the way to Romans chapter 9. The apostle Paul concerning Israel knew that they were under curse and they were cut off. And he says, you know, I would go to hell for Israel to bring them under the light of God's word. But I can't do that. But God had revealed to Paul what would happen with Israel in the latter days. God had opened Paul's eyes. He was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was taken to the backside of the desert. And the Lord Jesus Christ had instructed him that Israel would not be cut off forever. That we, the church, better be careful about our boasting. Notice as you back up, look at verse number 11. We're going to read a long passage of scripture here. Romans chapter 11, verse number 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. For to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world... And the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. God did not say that they would be rejected and cut off forever and the church would take their place. God did not say that the gates that lead into the new Jerusalem now represent spiritual church Israel. Based upon the foundation of the apostles and has nothing to do with the Old Testament tribes of Israel. No, God did not say that. And God is very clear that he's going to use Israel. He says, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation. In other words, to jealousy. Them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now isn't that what he said over in Ezekiel 37? Did not he say that he would take the dry bones of Israel that are scattered to the four corners of the world. He would put sinew upon their flesh. They would stand up. He said to Ezekiel, now prophesy unto them and say, live, O Israel. And all of a sudden Israel is alive and he would bring them from the four corners of the world and bring them back into their land. And for 2,600 years that had not happened. For 2,600 years, Israel was nothing more than just dead, dry bones, a forgotten nation that would never be brought into their land. 
But suddenly in 1948, it seemed like a little spark of revival took place. And today we have a nation there, a nation of what they call Bolsheviks. But they, guess what? They fly a flag and it's the star of who? The star of David. They must believe that they are Israelites. Somehow they got this crazy idea that they're Jews. You know, and, and the, in the Christian world out there, and I say the Christian world because 90% of Christianity holds to replacement theology. Very few. We have independent fundamental Baptists, a group of evangelicals that hold to this truth, but you take in the Nazarenes, you take in the Church of Christ, you take in the Church of God, you take in the Lutherans, you take in the Episcopals, you take in the Catholics, you take in much of Christendom, they hold to replacement theology. Check it out. They never hear this kind of teaching. They're afraid of the book of Revelation because they do not know how to understand it, how to interpret it. Their eyes have been blinded because they have rejected the truth. It is so important that we understand that God has made promise that Israel will receive an everlasting covenant, an everlasting possession. God would do it, and God would do it by His might, not by their might. So God makes it very clear. Notice in verse number 15, He says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Now you have to go back, in order to understand what he's saying, you have to go back all the way to Romans chapter 9. When you wrote Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10, you understand, hey, we're enjoying Christianity because of Israel. Where did we get our Bible from? We got it from Israel. We got it from uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. We got some of it from a Levite by the name of Moses. We got some of it by... Uh, the pro by the prophet of Dan, we got some of it by the prophet of Joseph, or by the, the uh, from um, oh, the patriarch Joseph, and through his lineage, you find that we have many prophets there coming from the various tribes of Israel that have given us the word of God, and so over a period of some. 1,000 years, we now have the Word of God from the Old Testament, and then we have another 400-year period, which God then, some of it in silence, but then He broke His silence, and over a period of some 90 years or so, He gave us the New Testament. So in a period of some 1,500 years, all of them, mostly being Jews, have given us the Word of God. So they are the root. The root is the Word of God. And Jesus Christ being the main root. He is the trunk. He is for which the word of God has come from. And so all of this has come from God's people Israel. And so here we are boasting. 
We have no idea how God looks at that boasting because we, we no longer have any respect for where we got our Bible. We got it through these men that God had used. So he says in verse number 8, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou hearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou will say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. What is he saying there? I mean, that, does that make any sense? When it comes to God's mercy and God's grace, it doesn't have to make sense. God is making it very clear. Hey, they can continue in unbelief, but I can graft them back in. They were cut off because of unbelief. But if I decide... Even though they remain in unbelief, I can graft them back in. You see, Israel don't have to repent of anything. And God will simply do it. God uh, made promise that he will do it. And then we read in verse number 25, I would not, brethren, that you be ignorant of this mystery. Mystery of what? God taking unbelieving people and bringing them back into his promise. God can do that. Because God is a merciful God, and who are we to argue against His mercy? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Now let me just bring this to a closing. Take your Bible and go over to Jeremiah 31. I don't, I, I don't even know why I'm going over there because you should know where I'm going. Jeremiah 31. God has made promise to Israel that what God would do, he would do, not based on them, but based on him. That when God is ready to bring Israel back into his covenant, even though they are rebellious, even though they are ungodly, even though for most of them they don't even believe in God. A big part of Israel holds to atheism. And yet God's going to do something in their hearts unlike anything that's ever been done before. And God says, when I do it, here's the sign when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. We don't know when that time is, but we know we're very close to it because we know of Daniel chapter 2. 
when Daniel had to interpretate Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and remember that big image, you get down to the ten toes and there's a stone that's cut out in heaven. The stone is cast down to earth. That stone is Jesus. And when it comes to earth, the entire Gentile system crumbles. It's been a Gentile reign all the way going back to the Babylonian Empire. You had the Medes and the Persians. You had the Grecians. You had the Roman Empire. You have the revised Roman Empire that's going on today with the ten nations that are going to eventually come together. We are now at the end of the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles is when all the Gentile nations want to unite and come back together as they did from the very beginning going back in the days of Babel with Nimrod. When they built the tower unto heaven. We're building a tower unto heaven. Uh, we're simply doing everything that we can do to get away from Christianity and put everybody in the faith and in the confidence and the trust of human government. And that's all based in a religion called humanism. Man is going to bring about your salvation. You need to trust in him. Forget about these fanatical Christians out there that are doing nothing but causing problems and getting in the way. Big government is going to come in and they're going to take care of you. They're going to feed you. They're going to provide you. And it's going to be a global program. And everything is being prepared. We're living in unusual days and unusual times the prophecies that deal with the fulfillment of the times of the Gentiles are already upon us. And most people don't see it. We have more of a global connection than ever before. There's more global unity than ever before. And so we are coming together. We're coming globally together to save our planet. We're coming globally together to work together to make sure that we bring together the best for brotherhood. And we're going to do everything that we can to get rid of all these religious zealots that would try to get in the way of all of that. And so they want to reestablish a whole new culture and bring out all of these fanatical parents and others that would teach their children otherwise and get rid of them, teaching the children to hate their parents, to despise their parents. Just like Jesus said in the last days, children would turn against their parents. So we're living in unusual days. Prophecy being fulfilled all around us. Nations are rising up and coming together and banding together. And we simply don't see it. And there's Israel right in the midst of it. And Israel is becoming more and more hated than ever before. And there are countries surrounding Israel that want to bring about their annihilation. And somehow this little tiny country is going to come to a place to where they're going to put their trust in big government. They're going to put their trust in the United States and the European nations that have all gathered together to put their arms around Israel. And they will tell Israel, tear down your walls. You no longer need to have those walls of defense. We'll be your walls of defense. And Israel will have confidence in them because we have driven Russia back. And Russia has lost a fifth of their nations. And Israel will feel safety and assurance and so they will tear down their defenses. And all of a sudden, these nations will turn on Israel. And they will set out to bring about Israel's annihilation. For a man will rise up that allowed Israel to build a temple and go into that very place and call himself God and call upon the world to worship him. 
All of this is happening, and it's happening very quickly. It's coming together very quickly. So Israel plays a very important part in prophecy. Take Israel out, you don't have any of that. You take Israel out, and none of it makes any sense, does it? God made it very clear that when all of this happens, He's going to take the church out of the program into heaven. He's going to engraft Israel into the program. God had promised to Israel that they would usher in the kingdom. God's promises were without repentance. God will do it. And so therefore, God is going to do something miraculous. Once the church has taken out 144,000 Jews, 12,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel will suddenly know who they are. They will be identified as their tribe. We have the ability to do that today, and Israel is working on that right now. Through DNA, they can figure out who they are. They probably already haven't figured out who they are. They already have priests over there serving right now, ready to go to work and offering up sacrifices in sprinkling the red ashes, or the ashes of the red heifer. These priests, they know that they come from the tribe of Levi. Well, if they know that, they know where the rest of them came from. And all of a sudden, one day when the church is raptured out, their eyes are going to be open, and all of a sudden they're going to be a great host of Jews converted in one day. Without any repentance, without any preaching, all of a sudden their eyes are going to be open. And here it is, right here in Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah 31, verse number 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenants that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord." But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their inward parts. I will write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no man, ever, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, with keeping that in mind, let's go back to Romans chapter 11. And notice what he says in verse number 25. Romans 11, verse number 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins." As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. We're living in exciting days. 
There's a reason why Israel's over there. There's a reason why in 1948 they were able to fly their flag of sovereignty. There was a reason why two years ago, 70 years from the very date that they flew their star of David, that they entered into the city of Jerusalem and now call it their capital. All of this is coming together and it's coming together very quickly. And you need to be careful that you don't get caught up with these groups of people that will tell you, no, don't pay attention to what goes on in Israel because that means nothing. It means nothing. They're not God's promised people any longer. You are. God no longer includes them. What's going on over there has nothing to do with the Bible, has nothing to do with you. So put your trust in me. Here's what's going on. You are spiritual Israel. You will usher in the kingdom. You will go through the tribulation period. You will be that 144,000 that will go forth proclaiming the word of God. And there will be tens of thousands of people saved as a result of you going through it. So that's what they're teaching. So what are we going to believe? Are you going to believe them or are you going to believe the Bible? Is God immutable? Does God lie? God would, does God back away from his word? No, he doesn't. His word is settled forever in heaven. What God says, God will do. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word.